Folks, I'm uh, very much aware... Uh, oh, no, I am an expert, actually, because the, uh, the definition of an expert is you need to be a plane flight from home and have a briefcase. Okay, so I'm on the plane this morning and my briefcase is over there, so... I, um, keeping life together or keeping going in ministry uh, is um, it's a very important topic uh, for those of us in... And I'm assuming you're all in some kind of, some kind of ministry work... Uh, my guess is, if you've been around more than been around more than a year or two, you actually see uh, the damage that happens to people uh, in in ministry work uh, because it's kind of the sleepy time of the day. How about if we make this a little bit interactive? I know I could just rattle on for forty five minutes, and you could sit there with a the screensaver on and kind of, you know, <laughs> and then we yeah. But how about we? Do you want to tell me what have you seen? Uh, Maybe better not to have names and suburbs, but what have, you, what have you seen happen to people? What are the things that we don't want to happen to people in ministry, though, that you see do, do, does happen over time? Do you want to give me some examples that jump out? Oh, yeah. Uh, a bloke I had great admiration for in ministry in another part of the world, um, but was a workaholic. And I'd long been concerned about that for him. He never saw it as a problem. And in the end, he um, burned out, then burned out, and then had an affair. So that one, that covers several workaholism uh, in, in terms of, uh, and then burnout, and then affair or adultery, which almost always costs a marriage, a family, um, and the ripples of that, uh, I've... I've been around long enough to say it's like throwing a bag of cement in a pond. It's not just the splash, it's the ripples that go out through family and church and community and it just... Yeah, so that's, that's just a tragedy. Other things, like other things that you see? Cynicism, just being kind of a bit sort of grumpy old man, a bit cynical and that kind of thing. Yep, cynicism, the grumpy old... You've been ringing my... Uh, that's right. I've just been talking to Cathy on the phone. Uh, yeah, the, grump, the grumpy old man syndrome, exactly. Uh, or I, I assume ladies would want to be equal, like grumpy old woman uh, syndrome. Yep, that, that, that can happen. That I know, it is possible to be really kind of bitter and cynical and, and live that way and then wonder why the non-Christians aren't flocking to you saying, tell us the secret to life. You know, that, yeah, that's it. Yep. Um, Depression? Yes, and, and yes, there's feeling down and real clinical depression. Yeah, and if if you're prone to that, it's very easy to 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 have that. This is what they call the black dog. Yeah, I've got a good friend who's had uh, the electro what's it? Um, yeah, the electric treatment. Um, I can't think of the proper name for it. There's, there's the elect, um, what do they call it? Electric shock treatment. Yeah, in in the last year or so, and it just you know, brutally effect on him. He's functional now, but that's, yeah, and that's largely as a result of the the cost of a ministry job that he was in. It certainly made it work. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, you can have people um, give up ministry and leave, or I see what else happens. They give up and they stay. Right? You see people. Um, you see people in churches and they've retired. They just forgot to tell anyone, okay? Uh, so, now, why does that happen? Well, just mainly discouragement, I think. Um, everyone who goes into ministry work, I think almost everyone who goes into ministry work, goes in with, with high ideals, 
wanting to serve the Lord Jesus, love other people, make the world a different place, see people saved, and and what happens over time? Now, I, I haven't got any um, kind of magic answers here. Uh, where there's real authority is from the Bible, of course, and then I've got some other thoughts, so you weigh it up. Now, um, Nicolay, who works at Geneva Push, has, has organised the notes beautifully. Has everyone got a copy of the notes? I've given you fairly full notes so that you can think and take them away with you... Uh, Etc. Uh, but you haven't got to, you won't, it shouldn't be too hard to take notes as we go. Here's, here's what I am absolutely convinced of, and that is long-term healthy ministry flows not from methods or techniques or management, but a deep understanding of the gospel. Um, if you want me to give you kind of six tips on full-time ministry and then you can head off, uh, put them on the back of your business card, you'll be disappointed. I think you've actually got a really deeply understand the motivation for gospel ministry and my favourite verse in the Bible that says that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 for the love of Christ controls us or you can translate it as compels us because we have concluded this that one died for all therefore all died but he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him uh, who, who for their sake died and was raised uh, You've got to understand the love of Jesus so deeply that it actually fundamentally changes you. And then keep looking at, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews says. Now, I know that sounds like motherhood and apple pie. Well, that's the answer. Fundamentally, that's the answer. Uh, and it's when, you, it's when you lose that, when it just becomes a job or it just becomes going through the motions or just, that's, that's when the tank empties, if you like. This is what fills the tank. Uh, if you want a great picture of gospel ministry, um, and uh, you see the Apostle Paul's heart in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is one that I haven't. Um, we finish it. Is it what time, Scott? Okay, right. Um, if you have a look at 1 Thessalonians, uh, this is in, in um, Thessalonica, they've really copped some opposition. Uh, I've been reading through Acts lately, and that's when the mob comes and they're looking for Paul to tear him limb from limb, and they grab Jason, who's a synagogue ruler, and they drag him out, and the Romans just watch. And, it, and Paul writes to this little church that he loves. In fact, I might read, if you have a look on the, the outline, I put about um, verses 3 and 4 we speak not to please man but God. Verse 8, um, we share not just the gospel but ourselves. We speak the words of God uh, to people, verse 13, and the people we minister to will be our crown. Let me just read it and you get the feel of how Paul loves them and what he's on about and see those four points jump out. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. I think it's Acts, 7, yeah, Acts 17 is where you see, woo, it really was, it was on. Um, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put up a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, people, right? Um, not from you or anyone else. Oh, now, isn't that? I was talking a little while about living for an audience of one. Oh, man, if you can learn to do that, you know, just you, you preach for the Lord and only, you know, you speak only for the Lord and not worry what other people think. 
Uh, anyway, and then, okay, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Now, do you know what I worked out? The Apostle Paul was only in Thessalonica three Sundays. Okay, three Sundays. You think, well, no wonder it was easy for him to share his life as well. He knew he could go. Like, okay, so <laughs> it's just long-term. Rela- no, it's, it's not the shortness of time made it easy. It's the shortness of time made it even harder to do that. And so you know I'm not going to see these people for a long time, but he still kept investing in them. And it's easy to make relationships shallow and not give of yourself. And he, he kept on giving out and sharing the gospel as well as his life with people. Okay, so we, speak to God, um, we, we share our lives as well as the gospel. Uh, verse 9, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. So he worked as a tent maker and so on. Uh, you are a witness, verse 10, and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Uh, interesting how in the pastorals, Paul's so strong in the idea of set an example for the believers. Set an example. Why? Because a church or a Christian group becomes like their pastor. Now, that's a scary thing, isn't it? For good or for ill, if you're their pastor, if you're their leader, they will become like you. And that's why those of us who teach will be judged. Uh, verse 11, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 13, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Now, it's that accepting this as the word of God, back up in chapter 1, verse um, 4, it's the work of the Spirit of God to open people's lives. He knew God had chosen because they accepted the word in that way. Verse 14, for you, um, you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, um, uh, which, sorry, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things as those churches suffered for the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and who are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. Uh, the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Now, there's just gold in these next little few verses. But brothers, when we were torn away from you in a short time, in person, not in thought, you read Acts 17, you see yet they had to leave in a rush and they kind of pulled Paul out. Um, uh, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Now, this is the one. That, this is the one you've got to remember on on um, uh, when you're out dealing with people day by day by day. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. All of those visits. All those times people didn't turn up, all those kind of chasing people, all those, those times when, you, when you're sitting there trying to listen and thinking, please kill me, like, or, uh, you know, like, all those times when you see them coming down the road and you want to run and you know you're going to turn around and go back and talk, you know, I see the heads nodding, they'll be there. And those people who've heard of the Lord, the Lord's used us in bringing them to salvation, they will be our crown, our joy, our, joy, our, our glory. When he returns. Okay. It's just 
beautiful thing. You see, you see the heart of the Apostle Paul uh, there. Now, I've, I think I've read, I just read a little bit each morning in the quiet times. Um, uh, I think I've read Acts three times now in the last year, and I, you just I can't help but fall in love with the Apostle. You know, for me, you know, in a blokey kind of way, um, fall in love with the Apostle Paul. He's just got such a big heart, and he just is fearless. And you know, so there's there's his heart ministry. Okay, now here's what I, I reckon. One of the key things in trying to keep going. I think I've been doing this now uh, 20, 24 years. Okay, um, I was just thinking the other day. It's a great privilege. I'm, I'm fifty three kind of starting a new venture, uh, just kind of a little, we're recording this, aren't we, Scott? It might go, okay. Uh, we've got a, a little, um, we're calling it a fellowship. We've got people meeting and reading the Bible, and lots of them have never been involved in the church, and it, it's great fun, just kind of a new little thing that we're, we're starting. But I'm 53, and I'm still really enthusiastic about what I'm doing. It's just such a privilege from God. Um, I mean, there'll be hard times ahead for sure, but my dad retired when he was 18 months older than me. And he had a job that he hated, and I, got a, I get paid to do this. How good is that? Okay. Uh, so, I've been doing it for a while. One of the key things, I think, about keeping on going is right expectations of what it'll be like. Right? And, and so, what should you expect? You know, think, wait a minute, this is hard work. Uh, yeah, we, we were expecting that. Okay. I'm tired. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I've got some conflict. Uh, okay, so let me give you a few, um, and once again, in like in 40 minutes, and I'm sure you can improve on the list, but here we go. Here's some right expectations about ministry work. See, point A there, ministry work, gospel work, is a great privilege, and it's a great responsibility. So, for example, to work as an overseer, um, um, Episcopos, uh, Bishop, uh, the saying is trustworthy, uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, um, he desires a noble task. Interestingly, in 1 Peter 5, uh, overseer, um, elder, pastor are all used interchangeably. It's, it's the, the, you know, the Christian leader. So it, it's, a, it's a noble task. Right? Or if you look down at um, Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to, what? Give an account. So, yep, great privilege. And, and actually... Extra special privilege if you get paid to do it. Double honour, as um, 1 Timothy 5 says. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will give an account for what we do. Um, just one thing, though. We've got to learn you are not responsible for the actions of other people. You got that? You, won't give a, you will not give an account for the actions of other people. Because what they do is between them and God. Okay? You think, wait a minute, what about my children, for example? Well, no, you're, it's just your job to be, the, if you've got children, just to be the best mum you can be or the best dad you can be. Um, what about the people in my church? It's your job to be the best pastor or small group worker or, you know, women's minister or whatever it is your particular job is. Love them, teach them, rebuke them, chase them, encourage them. But what they do then is between them and God. Got that? That's really good news, isn't it? What's the bad news? You're accountable for yourself and what you do. So uh, the good news, you're only accountable for yourself. The bad news, you're accountable for yourself. Very important to get that right because if you make yourself responsible for the actions of others, you're on your way to a nervous breakdown. I know, I've 
I've been there, okay, or, or within a millimetre of it. Okay, um, uh, then uh, James, that, that verse that we should all have as a tattoo, uh, James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not only are you telling people what they need to know, but you're setting an example and, and so on. Okay, great privilege, great response. Second one, in ministry work, expect great joy and great heartache. Just expect it. You will have great joy and your heart will break sometimes. So we just read in 1 Thessalonians 2 about what is our crown, our joy, uh, so on. when the Lord returns, is it not you? And interesting is that in 2 Corinthians, even the Apostle Paul talks about his regular or the daily pressure of his anxiety for all the churches. It, it, if your heart breaks sometimes, good. You know what I mean? You, you care. You care. Next one. Uh, gospel ministry is a spiritual battle. Um, I think the tribe that I've spent most of my Christian life in don't quite... Well, we, I don't think we take that seriously enough. Is that fair? From the, Ross and I have gone for similar tribal markings, I guess. Uh, yeah, I th- but, but um, it's a spiritual battle and the evil one does not want this to happen and you don't have to find the devil under every pot plant, but he's here... And he's active and he opposes the work. Uh, so, uh, so Ephesians 6, 12, for example, for we do not wrestle against our flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, and do not be surprised if you feel that sometimes. I think, I think the tribe that I came from, or me personally, we should be more aware of that um, as an issue. So um, in verse 18, he says in Ephesians 6, Praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. Uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, it's a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians 4, where he talks about the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. If it seems like you're talking to them sometimes about Jesus and explaining it really simply, and they look back at you like a teddy bear. You know the teddy bear look? Yeah, yeah, the teddy bear. That's right. They are, like, they... They can't see. It's like, wait a minute, how come you can't get this? The God of the, you need to ask God to open hearts and minds. Okay. Um, all right, next one. I've been thinking about... Uh, um, in gospel ministry, you'll be treated much better than you deserve and you'll also be treated much worse than you deserve. I just know as a pastor of a church... Um, uh, I mean, it's what the Lord Jesus says, you know, whatever you give up for him, you'll get back a hundred times, you know, the relationships and all that kind of thing uh, in Mark 10 uh, and uh, Luke 18. Um, I just know as a pastor of a church, I was just treated with love and, uh, and respect and care way better than I deserved. I remember often thinking, man, I don't deserve this. They, treat, you know, they just treat me so well. Um, and then there's other days when you're really copying it from someone or whatever and you've tried to do the right thing and you you know, you feel like going out and finding three or four cats and drop them in a bag and bounce the bag up and down and stick your head in it. You know, that's kind of like the sort of day you've had. Um, and you think, man, I don't deserve this. I... That's right. Both will happen. Okay? Both will happen. Um, we'll come down to the bottom. Expect it. Expect what church life will be like. Um, and, and related to that, I don't know whether DRE should be the same point really. Some people will love us and some people will hate us because we bring the message of the gospel. 
Um, and it'll almost be irrational uh, that, that some people will just hate you because of what you do. Um, 2 Corinthians is where you see it. Now, I don't think this is primarily about us. This is Paul talking about his apostolic ministry, but if, you, if we carry his apostolic gospel, we'll be treated the same way. So 2 Corinthians 2, he says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one the fragrance of death to death, to the other the fragrance of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Answer on our own, none of us. Um, it's just expect it. Expect it. That as you uh, preach the gospel, people react in a different way. Next one. Uh, ministry is meant to be hard work. Um, and we will give up our lives in this work. Uh, interesting. When Paul writes to Timothy about gospel work, he doesn't say, um, uh, as you're having a little snooze in the afternoon, getting a massage and listening to classical music, uh, think about, no, no, what are the, what's the three analogies in, in um, 2 Timothy 2? He talks about the soldier, the athlete and the farmer. All hard work. Um, I don't know if you've read it lately, worth reading, thinking about it. You know, the, the soldier's all about focus. Don't get involved in civilian affairs. Stay focused in what you're doing. Um, the athlete, you've got to compete according to the rules, like hold on to the truth. Um, and then the farmer, it's just plain hard work. Uh, so they're the, the analogies he chooses. Later on, I'll see he chooses the, um, uh, the athlete and the boxer. So he chooses stuff that's, that's hard. Uh, and then uh, in... Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about the, the treasures in jars of clay idea. Um, let me, you know, I've got time, let me read that. You listen to what he's saying. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. But we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What he's saying is in gospel work, we will actually give up our lives for other people. Bit by bit by bit. I mean, other countries, other places, uh, it may be one big lot right? um, where you know pastors, gospel preachers are persecuted, killed, locked up. But I don't know if you've if you felt it that you just slowly. I said to Kathy, I said to Kathy a little while ago. I worked. I reckon I worked out the reason that you die. You just get so tired that. <laughs> You die, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was just kind of maybe it's just been over fifty. I don't know, but um, you young guys wouldn't know what that feels like. But I just, <laughs> but so you can, you you do actually feel it, that you will give your life slowly but surely in the service of the Lord Jesus and the service of other people, and and you feel that. And I'm saying that's the expectation. Yes, uh, and here's the other beautiful thing, though. As you do that. You find life. It, it, it's, it's right through 2 Corinthians. Um, uh, and uh, it's funny, as a mate of mine who works with me, I work for guys called City Bible Forum now. They're in the CBD in Sydney. Uh, one of my mates SMSed me and said, Lord, I am I'm tired in your work, but not tired of your work. Okay, now, if you, 
Now, the idea is, though, if you're going to give up your life doing it, die in doing that, the idea is to take a long time to do it, okay? Uh, to, to not do it in one year, one month, you know, one year or one decade. But I look at some of the guys I know who are 20, 25 years older than me who've been in ministry for 50 years, and they have literally, slowly but surely, kind of worked themselves to death. Good. That's what we're meant to do, okay? And find joy and... and Keep life together as we do it. Okay? But I'm saying. That's what Jesus did. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm, look, I said the head's not. That's right. That's what we want to do. Work ourselves to death for Jesus. And love doing it and look after people around us and keep joy while we do it. You know, Jesus could be overwhelmed. And John 4, what? My food is to do the will of my Father. John, um, Matthew 11, he rejoiced, saying, Father, thank you that you've chosen the... Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Now, when, when it's... But we've got to look after ourselves as we do it. And the thing to remember, <laughs> my Kathy tells me uh, reasonably regularly, uh, the job of Jesus is already taken. <laughs> All right, she points at me. <laughs> and what does she mean? Well, it's his wife say... Okay, so yes, thank you. What does that mean? Well... He could run the world without you for a day, so you could like have a day off. Uh, he could run the world without you tonight, so you could have a night off. Um, maybe you need to relax. Let's, you know, that, yeah, you know. So we don't need to have Messiah complexes. That that job's covered. And uh, okay. Now here's another one that um, got to remember, and that is sheep bite. I don't even just mean wolves in sheep's clothing. There'll be plenty of those, you know, you've got to watch out there, and you've got to, you expect wolves in sheep's clothing to bite you, but sheep bite. Uh, when Jesus calls us, called you know, his people his sheep, it's not that flattering necessarily. Sheep are stubborn and dumb and, you know, defenceless and valuable, blah, blah, blah. But uh, when you, what I love about the New Testament, there's lots of things I love about the New Testament, what I love about the New Testament is, there's, there's dirt under the fingernails from the very beginning. What I mean is this. There's no um, golden age when the people in the church got on perfectly and everything was wonderful. Like by the time you get to uh, Acts, Acts chapter 6, there's a, there's a fight about the distribution of food in Jerusalem. And the, like you've got the apostles and signs and wonders and thousands of people happening and going, oh, I'm not getting my share of bread. You know, like... So expect it, and so many of Paul's letters are written addressing problems and catfights and all that sort of thing in the churches, and that's what we've got to expect still. So um, you look at, I think, you look at um, 2 Timothy Timothy chapter 3, listen to this list, and, and what's the context he's talking about? He says, but understand this, in the last days, meaning the time between until Jesus returns, there will, there will come times of difficulty for people to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I think he's talking about within the church. I think, yeah. Yeah, these people, will be, these people will be churchgoers. I'm not talking about the pagan world. They don't have the appearance of godliness. Um, avoid such... So, sheep bite. Now, they, you know, 
they may not even like even Jesus sheep bite. And I, it's a great sadness to me when you just see Christian people fight with each other, and um, uh, people in ministry sometimes caught up with it or caught up in it or in conflict. And here's here's what I've noticed: uh, conflict when you're in ministry has a has a, a heavier toll on you than somebody generally than somebody who's got kind of conflict in their secular job. Uh, you want to tell me why you reckon that is? Yeah, I want to make it a little bit interactive. Why do you, I reckon conflict in ministry knocks people in ministry around more than conflict in secular jobs? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, you should exactly. So you would expect things to be better in the church, uh, in churches. Yes, that's one. Yep. Whereas if you're yeah. working in ministry, it is your life and your work, and there's a huge blur between the two, which is not always a bad thing, is it? Yes, exactly. Uh, both as exactly. One is your expectations that you would expect to be better, and the other is there's no line between work and our life. And so you, you can't leave it at home. Uh, sorry, you can't leave it at work, because it's, it's who you are, and it's what you do, and then, so that there's no way to escape. Um, and... And it can just be all-consuming. And I should say, and gentlemen, I'll say this to the gentlemen, when there's conflict with the husband and people in the church, often that man's wife feels it more than he does. I think for a couple of reasons. One is <coughs> men are sometimes buffheads and they're not that sensitive anyway, right? And the wife's much more sensitive and in tune with what's going on. But also, she's got to stand back and kind of watch... And it's, when you're in the thick of it, it maybe it's not quite so bad, but she's got to passively watch this have a huge toll on her husband and family. And, and often at the end of a conflict that can go on for months, he's not too bad, but she's really been knocked around by it. So to be aware... But, uh, now, is that legitimate? To, yeah, OK, so, so gentlemen, if you're in conflict with... And it's going to happen, OK? Um, stick around if it's on the way, if it hasn't come yet. If you're in conflict with someone, you've got to watch the effect, particularly it's having... If you're married, on, on, on your wife. But also we have to expect it because they're not at the place that we're at. We've got to allow God to grow you. Know, uh, should we, sorry, expect conflict with people and so on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they have yet to grow from the position that you're at. Yep, yep, absolutely. And one of our jobs as leaders is to actually move people out of their comfort zone Right. Move people out of their comfort zone. One of the biggest things is how do you get a church to welcome new people? How do you get them to change? So it means you've got to push people out of their comfort zone. A lot of people don't want that. That's right. So, so conflict comes. Yep. Of course, there is a flip side. Sometimes conflict comes because the minister has been a buffhead. Okay. So just you know, occasionally it's. Not always them, if you know what I mean. Okay, so, okay. Um, now, I just thought, let's, in terms of expectations, hey, why don't we finish with a positive? There is a positive, CH there. Uh, expectations, we'll have people we love and who love us in the Lord. And that's just, it's just such a privilege. I reckon I look back, I've, got 20, I've been in a few different churches, 25 years of people who I still see and they're going on in the Lord and there's a real friendship there. And, you know, so what's Paul say to the Philippians? I thank my God... Uh, 
in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making um, sorry uh, for you, all making my prayer with joy because your uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I bet he remembers, you know, the Philippian jailer. Uh, who's about to kill himself? He stops, 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 and he becomes a believer. And Lydia, the businesswoman, and the you know, like, yeah, he just loved them, and they loved him, and they sent him support, and and so on. Okay, how are you going? How many screensavers on? No, okay, right, we'll keep going. All right. Given all of that, here's some thoughts about keeping on going in uh, in in ministry, and you weigh them up. The bits with the Bible references, that's the authority. The rest, well, you weigh up what you think. First one is this, and I know you think, oh, you know, he's, of course he's going to say this because, no, yeah, of course I am. Devote yourself to the word and prayer. You've got to, isn't it funny that in gospel ministry, we can actually end up too busy to read the Bible and pray. Now that's, maybe I'm the only one that, I'll fess up to that, okay, no one else has to, but, no. Um, you've got to feed yourself, and, and you've got to feed yourself with um, with prayer and time to read the word and so on, and that's uh, you've got to nourish your soul, and that's that's what we've got to do. Um, how do you do that? Well, I reckon my little theory is pick something that you love to do, and you just do naturally, and fit your Bible reading and prayer around that somehow. Okay. Now, what about what do I do? Well. I love to exercise. I just, I don't. It's not discipline. I just love to do it, and it, it de-stresses me. And I, okay, so I get up early in the morning, and exercise. But my little rule is, I got to read the Bible. I read the Bible and pray before I do that, and that's helped to get me in the habit that I get up earlier and I read the Bible and pray. And I love it now. Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it. So, Bible and prayer, then exercise. But I don't, whatever it is for you. I think it's a good discipline to try and fit that in around something that you, you love or, or do normally, before, after, whatever it is. And it just to nourish your own soul and to pray and so on. Um, so to do that privately uh, and then in your ministry. You know what uh, Paul says to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2.15? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So with people who teach the word one-to-one, you know, preaching, so on, um, people who handle the word carefully. Okay, and, and to pray. Um, so that's one. Two, I reckon to deeply understand what I'd call the sovereignty of God in salvation. That, that God takes the initiative and reaches out and grabs people and opens their eyes and hearts to understand who Jesus is and that God does that. Um, now, it seems to me that uh, that's not something you necessarily explain to people who aren't Christian. Uh, um, I've got non-Christians, predestination, election, that wouldn't be the first place I'd go. Um, but I've, I've had conversations with non-Christian people about it. You know, they've asked questions and so on. But interesting how, how does the Apostle Paul use that he, he, he brings that in, I think, particularly in Ephesians, as a way of explaining being saved by grace alone. So what he's saying is, you are so much a result of God's grace that it was God who chose you before the beginning of the world and opened your eyes and gave you the... and so on. And so it's, it's assurance that, oh, yeah, God has, has saved me. It's that assurance of being saved by grace alone. That's, that's one result... But the other is confidence about 
people will become Christians. Now, you don't know who in particular, but I don't know if you remember in, um, in Acts chapter 18, uh, Paul's just arrived in Corinth, and um, I think he's been beaten up or close to it, as usual, he turns up. Um, and then he leaves the synagogue, and the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, well, let me read it to you. Um, uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night, the, So this is in Corinth. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now, um, he'd only just turned up. There wasn't a church there yet. What's it? Many people. I, I, God had chosen many people, and that it was the Lord's plan that He would step into lives and open their hearts and and bring them to Himself. And a deep understanding of that will give you confidence and patience as you work with people. I, I think it's it's it really does. Um, if you like, keep keep you going. I, I think that's the. Uh, I mean, some people I know, they, you know the, the predestination thing means, well, you just sit on your hands and God will bring the elect in. No, that's never how it affects the Apostle Paul. It's a confidence to get out there and, um, and tell people. Okay, so um, devote yourself to the word of God in prayer, deep understanding of the sovereignty of God, God's initiative in salvation. And then number three, this is the one I'm, and I'm still working on this, learn to live with an audience of one, rather than looking sideways. This, I, I think this is uh, one of the key, the key lessons. You see how Paul has learned that in, um, in 1 Corinthians. You know, in, it's 1 Corinthians, he's talked about how they, um, you know, the factionalism and they have, you know, roast preacher for lunch on Sunday and I follow Paul and I follow Apollos and the Corinthians sat in judgment on him uh, very much. Do you see what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 4? Uh, this is how one should regard us, he means the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He's saying, I don't care what you guys think of me. It's not the same as saying you don't care about them. I don't care what you think of me. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord that judges me. Now, here's a question for you. What do you reckon he means? In fact, I do not even judge myself. What do you, what do you reckon that means? Because sometimes you're harder on yourself than you need to be. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, could you? Sometimes you're harder on yourself than you need to be, and sometimes you're not. Exactly. Exactly, that's exactly right. Sometimes you're harder on yourself than you need to be. And I wonder whether the great temptation for some of us in ministry is this, that we judge the effectiveness and the value of how we've served the Lord Jesus. And it's very easy to think, I'm, I'm a failure. Yeah. And now maybe it's the other side, you know, aren't I wonderful? But I reckon I know a lot more people who kind of think, aren't I a failure? How... Remarkably average, or less, I am. Um, and like <laughs> I, sp- I spoke to Andrew Hurd this morning, uh, who's on the Central Coast, a bit north of about an hour north of Sydney, and um, 
I've got this, uh, this group on a Sunday and he's got this group on a Sunday. And um, Andrew started that group 10, 15 years ago, but Andrew's got a group on a Sunday. And, and basically there's only a decimal points difference between the two groups. If you take the decimal point for my group and move it two to the right, You've got his group. Okay, I've worked out my group. The group that meets with me is one percent the size of his. Okay, I got fourteen people. He's got fourteen hundred. Now, it's easy to kind of hang up the phone there and think, do you see? Or to think, oh, I've just worked away with a little group, and we haven't seen the revival hasn't come, and I've I've just plugged away, and I. And what does Paul say? I do not even judge myself. It is our job to be faithful. And what does faithful mean? I've done all I could. I've done my best. It's not just hold the line doctrinally. I've, now, worked, I've worked that out. Um, 1 Timothy 2.2, that passed the gospel. Is 1 Timothy or 2.2? 2 Timothy 2.2, about pass the gospel unto faithful people. That is, there's faithful in terms of hold the line doctrinally. But Matthew 25, the parable of the talents... Faithfulness, you know, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is, I did everything I could to serve the Lord. So faithfulness is, hold the line doctrinally, yes, and I've done all that I could. Mm-hmm. However, the results, it's up to Jesus. He gives the growth. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's right. He's the one that gives the growth. Absolutely. And so, don't, don't, it's not, it is not for us to judge the results of how we've served the Lord. You might not always see the results either. That might come later. Exactly. You may not see it. Exactly. Exactly. See, you you don't know what God will do with what he's... Yeah, that's right. Now, we've got to do all we can, and we've got to be prepared to um, have a go and take some risks, and there's no excuse for sitting on our hands, but it's not for us to judge ourselves. and, and there's, okay, I'm not, verse 4, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Exactly as you've said, you don't know the results. Um, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden uh, in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, what had Paul done? He'd learned to live with an audience of one and not look sideways. And I tell you something, I wish I could... I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But it just... Ah, oh, man. Um, we just so naturally live in a world that's that way. And we, are, we look at other people for validation and what am I worth and, you know, and then we want all the badges of success to impress... And, and that kind of leaks into the ministry world. Sloshes in, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, I tell you... Well, I tell you where it happened. This obviously wouldn't happen in Tasmania, but, you know, back up there where I come from... Um, you look sideways in denominations, you know, like ministers are competitive with each other up where I come from. Uh, um, there's, there's jealousy across denominations and who gets what money. And uh, It's easy to look sideways at our peers, you know, for guys. Like I said, with Andrew talking, like he was really gracious and we laughed about it. But, but my group's one hundredth the size, 1% the size of his. And you kind of think, yeah, well, you know, that... Um, uh, it's easy to look sideways and wonder what your extended family thinks. So, you know, the brother-in-law that thinks you're a lunatic because you're in ministry or the, you know, you, the sister-in-law that's really patronising when she meets you or, or... doesn't matter, actually.
actually what they think. It's just hard to keep remembering that. Uh, the non-Christian world, I don't know what it's like for uh, the ladies, but for blokes, as soon as blokes meet each other, what do you do? Well, you talk about what job you do, okay, and what, where the status is and who, whatever, like, you know. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you want to lose the game, you just say, oh, I'm in gospel work. <laughs> okay, uh, well, that's, you know, like, yeah, that's, it doesn't matter. So I, I, the more you can learn to live with an audience of one, the more it will set you free. That, that's okay. Right. Uh, next one about things. Um, I don't know how to... I don't know. How, this isn't really a polished, worked-out point. It's more like just a shovel full of cement. I'll just drop it on the floor. You see what you think. In ministry work, you, you can feel powerless... Easily feel powerless. I used to work uh, in Mount Druitt, which is a, a government housing area in the west of Sydney, with some wonderful people, wonderful, lovely people. But there's also really high, how can you put it, social needs out there, just all sorts of problems of, of dysfunctional families and, and people being victims and all that. And, you know, I remember one street where I think I knew people in six houses and every one of the houses was just... I was oh man, how can you fix that? So great people, but great need. And I used to feel like I was driving around armed, you know, like driving through a bushfire armed with a wet rag. That's kind of what I, you know, felt like. And if you, you probably get it as well. So it's easy to feel powerless. Um, now, I, I know we, we carry the gospel. God's spirit changes lives and so on. That's the great power and the, the preaching of the gospel. Um, but even personally... You've got to understand how much power you carry with people as a gospel worker. So we want to preach the gospel. That's the power of God at work and the word and so on. But um, who's the man that lives down here in, in Tassie um, from John Mark Ministries? Um, Tim? Tim Dyer. Tim Dyer? Yeah, okay, Tim Dyer. Now, I heard Tim Dyer give a talk on this a couple of years ago. It just it was, a, it was brilliant. Uh, uh, but I don't know whether it was recorded. Basically what he said is this. Be aware of the power that you hold as a, as a pastor. Why? Because people in your group, whether it you know, be a group or a church or whatever you want to call it, they give you that power. You, you, you guide them through life. They listen to you as you teach them the Bible. The authority of the Bible kind of, if you like, leeches onto you and you carry that authority in their lives. And you're also there at key um, uh, rites of passage things. So, you know, you, you marry someone, you baptise their... Am I allowed to say baptise babies in the room? Yeah. Anyway, OK, right. If you, if you believe that, um, or you, know, you baptise them or dedicate or whatever it is, or give a Thanksgiving thing, you do something with their baby, all right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and each of those, each, and you help them through personal crisis, you carry enormous influence in their life. And you've got to tread very carefully with that power. And sometimes in gospel ministry, we can forget and end up thinking it's all about me, You're never actually acknowledging it, but thinking it's all about me, and want to control things too tightly, and, not be, and, and we, can, um, we can misuse that power. And you've got to beware of wanting to control things too tightly, I think. So, so growth, in church life, growth is always messy and untidy and raggedy. But really, it is. You can pick, when, when a Christian group is alive, 
the Spirit of God makes a mess, like it's very messy in the way that he works and people on the fringe and what, like, and you've got to beware the tighter you want to control something and control it, you can kill a group. Okay, so I'm just, I don't know how to say, be aware of the great power you carry as a gospel worker and use it carefully in people's lives. And I think we've got to beware of trying to be too controlling. Okay. At a funeral? Yeah, please. Ah, uh, yeah, thank you. Funerals, yes. Uh, um, yeah, is that one? yeah, okay, so you've got to be very careful. You, you carry great power uh, in terms of funeral rites of passage. And that's the last one on the list, isn't it? You're exactly right. Funerals, yep. Okay, here's the next one I think is really important. Understand uh, how God has gifted you. This is, this is personal. You've got to understand how God has gifted you. And we've got to take this doctrine that the Bible's teaching about giftedness and God's gifts seriously. That is, when you can truly understand how God has gifted you, you need to work hard at being able to work in your area of giftedness um, as much as you can. Now, you'll never do it 100%, and everyone has the gift of stacking chairs, and everyone has the gift of washing up. All right? Okay. But, um, for example... If you're not a great preacher and you get in a position where your main job is preaching and you've got to do it every week, you will wonder why the congregation, the church doesn't grow and why people sit there with teddy bear eyes. And it's, it, like, you, just, you need to be working your area of giftedness. There are, other, there are people who are brilliant hospital visitors and they can walk in and meet someone who's sick and sit down and talk with them for an hour easily and encourage them and talk to them about it. I, I walk in and I kind of, hello, how are you? Oh, no, I mean, you're in hospital, you're probably sick. Um, I, uh, right, um, well, uh, have you read your Bible lately? Which part? Well, it's all good. Um, I, it's like I've been there three minutes. I don't know what to That's probably not my area of giftedness, Okay. I can't sing and clap at the same time. Leading music is not my area of giftedness. You've got to, now, the more you can work that out, um, I think the more productive you'll be and the more likely you'll be to be able to work in it longer term. So, for example, if you're a hopeless administrator, work harder trying to get someone who's got the gift of administration and those people are gold to come and work with you. Okay? Um, uh, and also to understand how God's wired you up, and that is that God makes first chair people and second chair people, if you like, or if you like, team leaders and team members. And that's all okay, and it's all equal before God, but you've got to work out whether you're the number one person or a team, you know, the team leader or in the team, and if you get those mixed up, it's a recipe for pain. So I think work out longer term how God's gifted you and work towards trying to get into that kind of role. All right. So I've seen I've seen some uh, guys who've been leaders of churches, uh, and they're not really f- they're not really kind of if you like first chair guys. They're not the ones who should they have their hands on the wheel, and they've actually taken a step back. Notice I didn't say down. They've taken a step back and gone and worked somewhere else in a team with someone who is a natural leader. And it's been a beautiful thing. Okay? So how do you work out how God's gifted you and try and get into that position um, longer term? 
I'm going to, next one, and this is this, I'll probably get in trouble for this one, but anyway. Uh, you've got to keep paid ministry positions in perspective. Uh, in a previous job, I, I was overseeing quite a number of churches, and there was one man who was in, a, in major conflict with the, the little church that he was trying to lead. He had ended up having to try and run it by the denominational rule book, which is always a, a problem. Um, People were withdrawing from doing any kind of ministry. He and his family were trying to run the whole thing. Um, now, he's a good man, but the, the previous denominational official that had put him into the church had said to him, this will see how tough you are. And, I rem- and this man was only my age. Okay, um, Some of you guys think, oh, no, no, that's still a little early. Okay? <laughs> but I remember looking at this man in the eye and I said to him, mate, you don't have to die at this post. And you could see the burden just, he stood up straight. Really? I said, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you just move and look for another job? You, you don't have to die at this post. Um, and I just think for people who've stayed in ministry, I'm not saying give up too early, but if it's going to kill you or if it's going to kill your marriage or if it's going to destroy your family, it's not worth it. And there are other places to serve Jesus, and just you can leave. Uh, you know, you don't have to die at this post. And I also want to say to you, don't ever belong to an organisation so completely that you can't walk away if it becomes necessary. Um, whether that's the job's going to kill you, or if you're married, kill your marriage, or whatever. Um, or if, you, if you're called on to do things, significant things, that are clearly against your conscience or against the scriptures, you, you need to be able to leave. Um, and I, I think sometimes guys have, uh, people I know, have stayed in ministry positions just too long and it has, it has sucked the life out of them. And either, I don't know whether it's pride or they didn't have somewhere else to go or they thought Jesus had called them to die at this particular post or whatever. You sometimes you just need to be able to leave. Any, any thoughts on that one? That's, I'm not saying give up early. I'm just saying sometimes just you need to be able to walk away. How do you, how do you put that together with what you said earlier about dying slowly? You know, I, yeah. I, I agree with both those points. Um, they're both true. <laughs> that, that's true, isn't it? But there's sometimes you think, well, wait a minute. If I stay, if I stay in this position, I'm I'm banging my head up my head up against the wall. I'm working with people who uh, is it uh, one uh, one Timothy three or two Timothy three, where he says about people who are going to be godless, heartless, the appearance of godliness. That's what Paul says. Avoid such people. Okay. Um, where are we? Uh, yeah, 2 Timothy 3, avoid such people. Well, sometimes you think, look, I'm pouring out my life, but it's just pouring blood on the sand. These people are not listening, and I can't change it, and if I stay much longer here, it's going to kill me, or it's going to destroy my marriage, or my family, or whatever. That's it. I'll go and serve the Lord Jesus somewhere else, or in some other way. Mm-hmm. So could you gauge it by Yeah, I think there is, there's a level at which you say, oh, I don't judge myself. But if you've been doing something for a long time and you're not seeing any effectiveness, there's a time when you come and say, look, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. Or you something said, needs to change. 
you see the Apostle Paul do it. He preaches in the synagogues and, then, and there's places where he gets nothing but rejection. And then he says, okay, that's it. We're going to the Gentiles. He doesn't give up on the Jewish people. Right up the end of Acts 28, he's still um, talking to them in Rome. But this group of people, he says, no, that's it. We need to be balanced. And if we're out of balance, we're out of That's right. So hold those two things in comp there. But the, when you're wearing your heart rate monitor to the church committee meeting because you're worried you're going to have, I think you've probably crossed the line. Okay? That's, and, and guess what? That man um, found another job. He found a job that was more administrative, that was exactly here, and he's done really well there. And he's a good man and serving Jesus in his area of giftedness. So, okay. I'm not pushing the issue even if it's a church or even just one relationship doesn't, like, just entrenches people as well. And sometimes a change of ministry, like, doesn't yep. always mean wiping the dust forever. Sometimes a change of ministry, take the pressure off for a while. Change, yep. The church change of ministry. are able to change. And yep. And it's also a time... You can't see it through, you've just loosened the lid. You know? Yep. You know, yeah, sometimes you have loosened the lid. Sometimes, <laughs> look, sometimes uh, the well is poisoned and it's almost impossible to build. You can kind of forgive each other, but you can't rebuild trust. Sometimes it is time to move on. Sometimes it's time to just grit your teeth and tough it out too. But you know, it's hard. But you got to. I just want to say, you don't have to die at this post. Die slowly, yeah, but you know, not at this post. Okay, now here's the thing. I've got four minutes. Let me tell you really quickly. Uh, uh, here's the thing I've I'm been thinking about lately. Two things I reckon you mentioned. One is the audience of one, but the other is self-control. And here's kind of, it's, it's, it's delicious irony. It's self-control that will set you free. Okay? So you have a look at the Apostle Paul. He's just talked about, in 1 Corinthians 9, he's just talked about um, uh, how he becomes all things to all men, you know, to all people, um, be completely flexible any way he can culturally so can, people can hear the gospel. And then he talks about the fact that he's, he's been completely self-disciplined for himself. So he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. What's he saying? Be deliberate in how you run. Be, be deliberate about how you live, really. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Okay, quick look at that. Um, verse 24, the, the race idea, stadion, um, a stadia was 185 metres. So it, it's a foot race he's talking about. Um, be deliberate. You see verse 25, the NIV translates it as everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training... But the ESV um, gets it right because it's actually every athlete exercises self-control. Um, and the words enkratia um, from ego, I, and kratia, the idea of govern or master something. So it's self-mastery he's talking about. Uh, now here's what I, I've just kind of realised. Um, can I still have five minutes? Scott, does it run? Okay. Here's what I've I realised. The, the self-control thing is actually a spiritual idea. Uh, we have the Body, Mind and Spirit Festival, the whole kind of new agey thing happening at Darling Harbour up in Sydney. Um, and if you set up the self-control booth at the Body, Mind and Spirit <laughs> thing, I don't think you probably, you probably wouldn't get overrun with takers. Okay? And yet that's exactly what Paul says. It, uh, one of the, the 
one part of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives will be self-control. See Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, and notice it's singular fruit, these nine things together, each believer will have God at work in these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Now notice, love is the first, I think, first and fundamental thing, but self-control's at the end. Why? I think it's through God's work of giving you self-control that the other eight things begin to happen in your life. Uh, same word where, where um, in 2 Peter 1, 5, for this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and so on. It's the idea of... Um, of self-mastery, to be able to control desires and, and actions. Uh, and what's he saying in, the, in uh, 1 Corinthians there? Uh, I keep my own body, my own appetites, my actions and so on under control. Uh, being an athlete, hard work. Uh, he talks about boxing, um, being deliberate and so on. Um, notice the two things. He chooses an athlete. Which, uh, which is hard work, the Greek word agonizomai, like agony, agonizomai, hard work, the athlete. Uh, and boxing, why boxing? You in gospel work, you're going to get hit. You will get criticised, you'll get knocked down, you'll be you know, discouraged and, and so on. Uh, now, why have I been thinking about self-control lately? Uh, I'm not, I'm a bit of a kind of impulsive, uh, not particularly naturally disciplined person. I tell you what, in ministry... Uh, you need to be you need to be self-controlled. I'll tell you one of the main reasons is this, and and uh, I work with quite a few young guys who come out of college, and what hits them with this? They come in a Bible college, and they realise that they've got 168 hours in a week, uh, seven times 24, and other than about four hours a week, no one knows where they are or what they're doing. Uh, and so what do you do with those other 164 hours a week? How do you spend that? And, how, and you've got to learn to be self-disciplined, particularly in your time uh, and how you spend it. Um, and it's actually massive opportunities for sin uh, in that other 164 hours. Not so much in those four hours while you're at church or whatever, but in the other 164, whoa, you know, that's... Um, now, how do you do it? Um, I've got there 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, about do not love the world. I'm not going to get time to the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Well worth looking, thinking through that. Here's what I want to say about self-control, uh, to be disciplined in how we spend our time. Um, uh, I'll just go, I've got to stop. I'll just go through the list there. The idea of, I reckon this book is the most important one we have in ministry. Okay, So the Bible's number one. But the next most important book, I reckon, is your diary. How do you control those other 164 hours? Things like this. Uh, if you're married, you need time with spouse. You've got to control how much you work so you're not a workaholic and so you're not lazy. Um, plan your ministry time. You want to plan preparation, plan extra reading, plan time with people who aren't Christian, you know, sharing the gospel with them. You want to work out, can you train people in leadership, time for um, admin and so on. Other things, though, we've got to plan a day off. Uh, depending on whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you want to see people or hide from them and so on, to plan, to plan exercise. Um, and the older you get, the more important that gets. Exercise to eat right. Um, you want to sleep right. Here's another thing I reckon. You need to plan to have some fun. 
Uh, you know, all work and no play makes Jack or Jill a dull boy or girl. Uh, do stuff that will recharge the batteries. And I reckon you ought to do that on a, on a daily, daily, kind of weekly, uh, yearly kind of basis. So it's um, five months and three weeks uh, till um, I'm going hunting with a mate in North Queensland. Uh, I don't count the days till I'm about a month out. That would be, <laughs> that would be obsessive. But um, I, I just know, and I've got a prenup agreement with Kathy, and she's happy for me to go one week a year, and I go and do that, and I plan it, and, it's, uh, and so on. And I do other stuff. I you know, go to the gym pretty re- I exercise pretty regularly and go to the movies. You've got to have stuff you do that's just fun, okay? And whatever it is you're into, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, cooking or ballroom dancing or hunting or riding a motorbike or whatever it is that you've got to... Uh, First thing that should go in your diary, holidays. Now, if you want a policy, here's my policy, have as few unused holidays as possible when Jesus returns. Because <laughs> you've got ten weeks up your sleeve holidays, terrific, the Lord returns, you're going to think, oh, I... exactly, I could have, that's it. It won't be a major disappointment, but you'll still, you know, you'll think back, oh, you know, I could have just, you know, there'll be other things going on, you'll be happy, but... Uh, we might see some. Uh, it's a, it's chasing feral pigs and things, and it's oh yeah, oh, yeah. Seen a few crocs. Seen a few. Haven't ever shot one. Uh, it's been recorded, but I really I haven't. Um, okay. Uh, so holidays planned, and and I look around. Some of you guys are old enough to have little kids. It's your holidays that build family legends. It's the holidays where you go and do stuff that's fun that the kids will look back and remember when you did so. If you wait, you'll, you'll never be able to have your holidays uninterrupted. You know, like beginning of the year, get them whacked, get them in, right? and then and then plan the rest of the year around that. Uh, and then the discipline too of having long-term um, friends or peers, and that is, it's never, I mean, it's probably never a convenient time to catch up with someone, but it's your long-term friends that are gold, and particularly when life is difficult. So 10, 15, 20, I've got like 25-year friendships now with guys, with mates in ministry, with couples, Kathy and I, and with other people in ministry, and that's, it, it takes an effort to keep up those relationships, but they're absolutely gold. Other areas to consider, one, I think sometimes people in ministry can have a bit of a problem with alcohol. Um, I'm not against drinking at all, but just sometimes you've got to work out, you know, is it a servant or a master? It's worth thinking about that one. Um, we've got to be disciplined about money, um, sometimes about spending too much, other times we've got to be disciplined about trying to raise money and talk to people about raising money and so on, and the other is we can need to be disciplined with our food and exercise. Um, uh, okay, and the stakes are high. You look at verse 27, uh, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. That's the Apostle Paul speaking. So he's saying I won't, I won't give up. He's he's serious about that. I'll tell you the greatest, the great tragedy in um, in the New Testament in Colossians. When's that? About the year sixty. Uh, he writes and says, you know, um, uh, Luke and Demas uh, send their greetings. Four years later, he writes to Timothy and he says, Demas, because he loved this present world, has deserted me. So, like Demas travelled with Paul. He heard him. He saw what happened, and he still wants. So Paul's saying, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that chance. Um, and then, I, I, my son and Mike on the way up here, I know three men 
who I would have counted as peers, not close friends, but peers, three men in the last um, 18 months who've left ministry because of adultery. Uh, and it's just, it's just a train wreck in their family, their church, their community, and so on. And it, it was a result of a thousand little compromises they made. Um, and we just, we just can't do that. Don't begin to make those compromises. Now, I'm going to stop because I've gone way over time. Sorry. Uh, almost stop. You look, if, you look, if you look at your... Sorry. If you look at your... Um, sorry, I just... Yeah, all right. I'm not disciplined. If you look at the appendix in your, the, your notes, I've got nine um, paradoxes of gospel work. And look, if these are any use to you, um, or if you want to ever teach them to somebody or whatever... Nine things you think, wait a minute, they're contradictory, but no, wait a minute, they're both true, and they come out of the scriptures. So, um, like, work hard and rest in God's sovereignty. So which do you do? Do you work hard or do you rest in both? They're both true. Or number two, work for growth in your group, yep, and know that only God can give the growth. Which one's true? Both true. Or number three, expect your people to change, yep, and expect your people to sin, yep. Uh, Number four, teach... Uh, confront and call people to repentance and know that only God can give repentance. Uh, Be responsible for your people and don't be responsible for your people. Enjoy the moment, live for the future. Know the evil one's power is broken. Know the evil one is still powerful. Teach people they're only accountable to God and then teach people to obey their leaders. Um, Expect weakness, expect victory and expect me to stop you.